Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Sherrod International Fourth Quarter 2021 Results Conference Call and Webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, Thursday, February 10, 2022, at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will now turn the presentation over to Joe Racanelli, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, before we begin, I want to point out a couple of items. Our financial results, MD&A and, and financial statements were uh, released last night and are available from our website as well as from CDAR. We will be using a presentation today as, as uh, customary, and a copy of that is available from our website. Um, and in our presentation today and in our discussion, we will be making some forward-looking statements, and those statements are available on page three of the presentation. In addition, we will be making reference to certain non-GAAP financial measures, and details on these measures and reconciliations to them are, uh, and to the most comparable, I should say, IFRS measures are included in the appendix of our presentation. Uh, with that, I'd like to introduce uh, and turn the call over to, uh, to Leon Benedel, our CEO. He's joined today as well with, by Steve Wood, our Chief Operating Officer, and Yasmin um, uh, Gabriel, as if you recall, was appointed our CFO in August of, of uh, last year. So please go ahead, Leon. Thank you, Joe, and good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Q4 was a particularly busy quarter for Sherrod and marked by progress on a number of fronts. Operationally, we had strong refined nickel and cobalt production in Q4 and were able to meet our targets for the year. Financially, we generated our highest adjusted EBITDA and highest net earnings from operations since Q4 2017. Our unit costs at the MOA joint venture also showed improvement, reaching the lowest levels in three years. From a strategic perspective, we launched an expansion plan for the first time in more than 10 years and completed a number of important first steps. I'll expand on our growth strategy and the benefits it will deliver in my remarks on the outlook for Sherrod. On the leadership front, we appointed experienced and well-qualified individuals to our board and senior management team, naming Dr. Peter Hancock as the director and naming Elvin Suruk as the head of growth, Dan Rusnell as the head of our metals business, and Greg Honig as the head of technologies and marketing. Peter's experience in the mining industry and technology research is welcomed addition to our board, given Tim Baker's decision not to stand for re-election in 2021. These developments are indicative of the momentum we are building. We ended the year pivoting towards growth and expansion, backed by favorable market conditions and a strong outlook for nickel and cobalt in particular. We expect to build on this momentum through 2022 and beyond. Before I turn the call over to Steve, for a more detailed discussion about our operating performance in Q4, I would be remiss if I did not point out, as announced late last year, that Steve has decided to retire at the end of April after a long and successful mining career. Steve has provided invaluable guidance on shared operations over the years, and I'm grateful for the support 
and the many contributions he has made as a key member of our senior leadership team. As a driving force behind our purpose and promises, Steve's legacy at Sherrod will be remembered for his commitment to safety, sustainability, and operating excellence. On behalf of everyone at Sherrod, I'd like to extend Steve our best wishes for his upcoming retirement and look forward to his active role during our transition. Over to you, Steve. Okay. Thanks, Leon, for those kind words, and good morning, everyone. I'd like to start my discussion today with a comment on safety. Uh, we've devoted considerable efforts over the past several years to fostering an environment in which uh, best practices for employee health and safety are employed. That has resulted in Sherritt regularly ranking in the lowest quartile for incident rates in our peer group, and uh, we continued that performance in the fourth quarter. We had a uh, lost time injury rate of 0.14, which compares uh, well to the 0.12 for the same period of 2020. I'll now turn to our production results for the quarter on slide six. I'll begin with our share of the MOA JV. As you can see from slide six, nickel and cobalt production in the fourth quarter were marked by a strong recovery from our performance in the third quarter. On a 50% basis, the MOA JV produced 4,266 tons of uh, finished nickel and 476 tons of finished cobalt in the fourth quarter. This represents a, an increase of 6% for each metal produced in the comparable period in 2020. Production in the, the fourth quarter will, in which we implemented uh, enhanced measures to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 enabled us to reach our finished nickel and cobalt targets for the year. On a full year basis, finished nickel production for 2021 was 15,592 tons, largely flat from uh, last year when we finished uh, cobalt, uh, while we finished cobalt, uh, which was uh, up at uh, 1,763 tons, up 6%, largely because of the higher cobalt to nickel ratio in the mixed sulfides feed. As noted, uh, production results for the full year were impacted by a number of developments related to COVID-19, the most notable being the extended 13-day full facility shutdown at the refinery in Fort Saskatchewan due to uh, reduced contractor availability and delays in the shipment of mixed sulfides from MOA. Unplanned maintenance activities at the refinery in Fort Saskatchewan in the third quarter also had a bearing on our production totals for the year. Each of these impacts are behind us as the Q4 totals demonstrate. I'll now turn to our unit costs on, at the MOA JV on slide seven. Uh, the net direct cash cost was $3.60 per pound of nickel sold, and that's down 19% from 4.47 in the fourth quarter of the prior year. NDCC, in fact, for Q4 2021 was the lowest since the fourth quarter of 2018. The improvement was principally due to the 82% increase in realized cobalt prices, and the increase was uh, more than offset uh, the higher MPR costs, particularly the input costs for sulfur, fuel prices, and natural gas, which rose respectively 146%, 72%, and 76% in Q4 of 2021 from the same period of the previous year. On a full year basis, NDCC was 411 per pound in 2021, meaning that we beat our guidance for the year. NDCC for 2021 was down 2% from 
from the previous year, despite the significant rise in those input costs as mentioned, but offset by lower labor costs due to the impact of Cuba's uh, currency unification. I'll now turn to our power division on slide eight. We produced 130 gigawatts of electricity in the fourth quarter, and that's down 10% from the previous year uh, when we produced 144 gigawatts in, in the fourth quarter. The decrease relative to the previous year was driven by the scheduling of maintenance activities that had been previously deferred on account of limited liquidity availability and reduced availability of spare parts. Unit operating costs in the fourth quarter were 22.72, and, and that's down 15% from the 26.73 for the previous year. The year-over-year -year decrease was primarily attributable to reduced spending on maintenance and the effect of Cuba's unification of its currencies in lowering labor and third-party service costs. I'd like to wrap up my discussion on the power business by pointing out that we continue to be in discussion with our Cuban partners to expedite the payment of overdue receivables, increase availability of natural gas needed for power production activities, and extend the power generation agreement with Energas, which is currently slated to expire in March of 2023. Uh, to that end, we completed a feasibility study in the fourth quarter detailing the economic benefits of extending the power agreement. The feasibility study was approved by the shareholders of Energas and will be submitted to the Cuban authorities within the coming days for final uh, uh, review. Approval is expected before the year end. Uh, on slide nine, uh, I'd like to note that uh, Sherit's commitment to ESG is significant. In fact, you can expect Sherit to build on our recent progress in the years to come, particularly with respect to the upgraded targets we announced last year, or last fall. As you can see from the slide, some of these uh, targets include achieving net zero greenhouse emissions by 2050, obtaining 15% of overall energy from renewable re, uh, sources from, uh, by 2030, uh, reducing nitrogen oxide emission intensity by 10% by 2024, and increasing the number of women in our workforce to 36% by 2030. Achieving the climate and environment targets will require innovation, investments, considerable effort, and leveraging of evolving technologies. We've identified opportunities to reduce carbon emissions significantly, and examples of some of the near-term efforts include making use of solar power and uh, electric vehicles. We will provide updates on progress towards our targets on a regular basis going forward. Now that concludes my remarks on operational performance. Uh, earlier, Leon noted that I will be retiring uh, by the end of uh, April, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Sherritt's employees, its board, and our partners for their generous support over the years. Their collaboration, commitment, and counsel has enabled us to strengthen the company and position it for much success for many years to come. I'll now turn the call over to Yasmin for a discussion on our financial results. Thank you, Steve, and good morning, everyone. I'll begin with the discussion of two of our key financial metrics, adjusted EBITDA and net earnings from continuing operations. You can see on slide 11 that we generated $46.4 million of adjusted EBITDA in Q4 2021, a total that marked our highest since Q4 2017. This strong performance was also reflected in our net earnings from continuing operations, which at $14.4 million 
was also our highest since the fourth quarter of 2017. Our strong financial results in Q4 2021 were driven by higher realized nickel, cobalt, and fertilizer prices, strong nickel and cobalt production, and our efforts to reduce costs. Now turning to our liquidity position. At the end of Q4 2021, our total liquidity improved by 10 million. However, our cash and cash equivalents, which totaled 145.6 million, was down from 163.4 million at the start of the quarter, as you can see on slide 12. The lower cash position and the amount held in Canada were driven by a number of developments in Q4, including cash interest payments on our second lien notes of almost 15 million and by the deferral of expected distributions from the MOA joint venture. Distributions totaling 8.1 million were deferred in Q4 to January of this year as the MOA joint venture board exercised caution and assessed the impact of delays in product deliveries caused by the flooding in BC and congestion at the port in Vancouver in November. In Q4, we completed an early renewal of our credit facility to strengthen our available liquidity and to provide flexibility in funding our growth strategy, which Leon will provide an update on shortly. The amendment increased the amount of available credit by $30 million to a total of $100 million and allows us to utilize the facility to fund capital expenditures. The maturity of the facility was extended to April 2024. Looking at our distributions more closely on slide 13, our MOA joint venture has been a reliable distributor of cash over the years, with US 98 million distributed to Sherrod since Q1 2019. During this time, Sherrod also received US 34 million of dividend redirections from its partner GNC. Although amounts have varied over this period due to fluctuations in commodity prices, the MOA joint venture's low-cost operations and dependable production typically results in quarterly distributions. And as you can see on this slide, there is a strong correlation between distributions and nickel and cobalt prices. A $1 increase in the nickel reference price results in an increase of approximately US 30 million higher MOA joint venture operating cash flow, while a $5 increase in the cobalt reference price results in an approximately 15 million increase in the MOA joint venture operating cash flow. And both of these amounts are on a 50% basis. The amount of dividends to be distributed to each partner is, divided, is decided by the MOA Joint Venture Board on a quarterly basis, and there are a number of factors that go into the decision-making process. This includes available cash, prevailing metals prices, and planned capital expenditures. When we factor in our recent performance, strong nickel and cobalt price outlook, and expected MOA Joint Venture liquidity requirements, and that includes our planned CapEx, we anticipate additional dividends in Q1 and expect to continue to see strong distributions in 2022 compared to the 36 million Canadian we received in 2021. Now turning now to slide 14. With the completion of the balance sheet initiative in 2020, we improved our capital structure by eliminating 300 million in total debt, saving 15 million in annual cash interest, and extended our debt maturities. And as you can see on this slide, under this improved structure, our first debt maturity is almost five years out, with our second lien notes coming due in November 2026. We remain focused on further strengthening our balance sheet, and we have a number of opportunities to grow our cash position and meet our debt obligations. One key element will be converting our overdue receivables from our Cuban Energy partner into cash, as this represents more than 50% of our second lien notes. Although the timing of Cuban energy receipts will continue to be challenged in the near term by restrictions on tourism as a result of COVID-19 
and the ongoing impact of U.S. sanctions, we are focusing on opportunities to utilize the Mo joint venture to settle the outstanding receivables. This will allow us to collect sooner and is something we are actively working on with our Cuban partners. In the medium term, we'll generate incremental cash flow from expansion at our MOA joint venture, better positioning us to benefit from the strong pricing outlook for both nickel and cobalt. And finally, there's the potential for transformational cash flow growth through the commercialization of opportunities within our technologies business. Our commitment to executing on these opportunities should make clear that achieving balance sheet strength continues to be a key strategic priority to share it. That concludes my review of our financial highlights. I will now turn the call back to Leon for his closing remarks. Thank you, Yasmin. As you've heard, we've entered 2021 with considerable momentum. Encouraging market conditions gives us confidence that we will be able to extend our momentum through 2022 and beyond. As you can see from slide 16, nickel prices since the start of the new year continue to be strong, reaching a high of 1089 US dollars a pound on January 21st and reaching those levels today again. Cobalt prices have also been on an ascent, climbing to above 34 US dollars a pound. Higher prices for both commodities were driven by strong demand, reports of consumer stockpiling, and reduced availability of supply. Conditions supporting these price levels are expected to remain in place in the near term, and most analysts have forecast strong nickel and cobalt prices through the end of 2022. The impact of growing demand and consumer stockpiling is apparent when we look at the nickel inventory levels. As you can see from slide 17, combined inventory levels on the LME and the Shanghai Futures Exchange have dropped by more than 60% over the past 12 months to below 100,000 tons, the lowest level since December 2019. This decline continued into 2022 and now stands at approximately 85,000 tons. Currently, industry analysts are expecting market tightness through the end of the year. This encouraging backdrop helps put context around our expansion strategy and why we are excited about both our near-term and longer-term prospects. Accelerating expansion at the MOA joint venture will entail three key elements outlined on slide 18 that upon completion will grow nickel and cobalt production by up to 20% for a combined 34,000 uh, over the combined 34,700 tons produced last year. The first element of the expansion will focus on the completion of a new slurry preparation plant at the mine that will reduce ore haulage distances, improve ore sorting, improve feed quality at, to the processing plant, and reduce the carbon intensity at the mine. The second element of the expansion will focus on completing a previously suspended expansion of the MOA processing plant and upgrading some utilities to facilitate increased sulfide production at MOA. The last element relates to upgrading of equipment at the refinery in Fort Saskatchewan to increase production capacity to approximately 41,000 tons per annum. In tandem with growing our mixed sulfide production, we also plan to extend the mine life at MOA to beyond 2040. Our plan consists of converting some of the more than 158 million tons of measured and indicated resources into reserves by changing our mine cut of grade and optimizing our mine plan and blending of mined materials. Test work was completed in Q4, and these are being translated into the mining software for optimization. We'll be issuing a new 43101 technical report later this year once all approvals and mine planning has been completed. This new focus on growth marks a change for Sherrod and one that we are truly excited about. 
We've already started to make significant headway in our strategy as outlined on slide 19. In Q4, the MOA JV completed a feasibility study for the Slurry Preparation Plant, or SPP, and received approval for capital spend from its board. The SVP is estimated to cost 27 million US dollars and be completed by early 2024. It will deliver the benefits starting by mid 2024, including increasing annual mixed sulfide production by approximately 1,700 tons for a capital intensity per nickel ton of approximately $18,000 per annual ton. And it also underpins the broader expansion at MOA. The total budget for the expansion strategy, including the SPP, is slated to be in the range of $20,000 to $25,000 per annual ton of nickel capacity increase. We anticipate the remaining projects to be approved early in the second half of the year and anticipate to see the benefits from the broader expansion commencing in 2025. We'll continue to provide updates on the progress in the coming quarters. While completion of the SPP and the broader expansion will deliver a number of longer-term benefits, our near-term performance can be measured by the guidance for 2022 we issued a couple of weeks ago. A summary is presented on slide 20. At the MOA JV, our production targets for refined nickel and cobalt are consistent with performance over the past 10 years. We have taken a conservative approach to our guidance for NDCC, or net direct cash cost, given the inflationary pressures on input costs and the limited visibility we have on fertilizer pricing, which, like cobalt prices, are key byproduct credits. With respect to planned capital spend, the Canadian dollar 75 million target for sustaining activities exclude amounts planned for our expansion. We anticipate providing fulsome gross spend details with our Q1 results. Spending on capital in 2022 is planned for the replacement of mine and plant equipment, fertilizer handling upgrades, tailings management, and includes amounts deferred from 2021 due to the impact of COVID-19 on disrupting logistics and supplies and contractor availability. Funding considerations for planned spending on capital in 22, as Yasmin mentioned, includes operating cash flow, the recently amended credit facility, vendor financing, and amongst others. Our targets of the power business are consistent with recent performance and reflect the anticipated levels of gas supply from our Cuban partners. As Steve noted, we continued our discussions with our Cuban partners to extend the power generation agreement at Energas and submitted formal application in this regard. The current agreement is expected to expire in March 2023, but we expect that to be renewed. In conclusion, I would like to thank you for your time today, and as you have heard, Sherrod started 2022 with strong momentum. We finished 2021 by hitting our production targets and improving on our cost targets and made progress on our growth strategy that will deliver benefits starting in 2024 and strengthen our relationships with our Cuban partners. Just as important, the favorable outlook for nickel and cobalt prices continued in the new year, suggesting stronger distributions from our MOA joint venture in 2022. With that, I will now hand over the call to the operator to take questions. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, in order to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Again, to ask a question, please press star 1. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. And our first question comes from the line of Greg Barnes 
from TD Securities. Your line is open. Yes, thank you. Leon, the cutoff grade of MOA, I assume you're looking at lowering the cutoff grade to bring resources into reserves. Is that being driven by efficiencies you're seeing with the expansion coming through? Uh, thank you for your uh, call, uh, your question, Greg. The cutoff grade historically was pegged uh, at a fixed cutoff grade under the Cuban regulations. And what we're looking to do and have um, worked with the Cuban authorities to implement is to have an economic cutoff grade which uh, flexes with the nickel prices and, and the grade variability within the ore body uh, that maximizes uh, the, the conversion of resource to reserves. Uh, we have a pretty reasonable handle on what that would mean given we understand the economic cutoff grade, um, but now working through the mechanics of getting that approved through their, their regulations and optimizing the mine plan based on recent additional test work we've conducted. Uh, so it's really not uh, okay. lowering the grade per se as, as matching the grade in terms of how we've operated in the past in, in effect. Right. So you did operate to that non-economic cutoff grade, I guess, or the regulatory cutoff grade to this point. Yes, we've been allowed to operate essentially outside of the regulatory in, um, okay. cutoff grade to a more economic cutoff grade in recent times. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question is from Gordon Lawson of Paradigm Capital. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, and uh, congratulations on another great quarter, and thank you for the Phase 2 update. Um, I was wondering if you could disclose a little more color regarding the remaining components versus existing components, um, and specifically the sulfuric acid plant and other infrastructure at uh, Fort Saskatchewan. Thank you. Uh, sure thing. We will be providing um, a lot more detail on the, on the full scope in the coming quarter scored. Uh, but in terms of the overall uh, ut utilities at Fort Saskatchewan, there's very little to be done from an upgrade perspective. It's more through the, the actual process. At MOA, it requires uh, a, a bit more around the asset plant uh, in particular. So that is the principal utility that would need some upgrades to facilitate the expansion at MOA but we'll provide uh, the full details of, of the scope um, as, as we announce the full capital cost um, at, at the end of Q1. Okay. Um, and switching over, uh, could you talk about your progress on the treatment of uh, copper concentrate and what sort of contractual arrangements you're targeting with respect to clients? Sorry, on copper concentrate? Yes. Uh, with regards to copper, we continue to look at ways to improve that, that concentrate feed and the ability to uh, increase the availability of that product. Uh, there's a, a number of uh, technology works uh, currently being considered uh, that has gone through test work and we'll be able to announce the results of those during the course of this year. Okay, thank you very much. That's it for me. Thank you. And our next question is from RSW of, from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. A um, couple of questions for me on the uh, proposed expansion as well. Um, last quarter, you had talked about uh, CapEx costs for the expansion below U.S. 20000 a ton. 
now in the disclosure talks about 20 to 25. I'm just wondering if that changes, is that just inflation driven or has the scope changed at all in terms of what you're doing? Um, and then also had a question around financing for the project. And you've talked about the fact that um, you've got, uh, I think, $79 million of cash trapped in Cuba at Energas. Is that available to use for the MOA expansion? I'm just wondering if that is a source of funding. Uh, thanks for your question, Soros, and dialing in today. Uh, first, uh, just to correct, when we first announced the expansion intensity, we were guiding somewhere in that range of twenty to twenty-five thousand uh, dollars an annual ton of nickel. Um, so it remains within that range, uh, and we will be providing the exact capital intensity of that, which. Uh, really is going to get driven around the mine optimization and what we see the throughput. The capacity limits of the facilities, I think, is reasonably well understood. It, it will come down to our expectations of how the optimized mine plan will perform through those facilities ultimately in terms of the output. Um, in terms of the available uh, cash in Energas in Cuba, um, as Yasmin mentioned, we uh, are in continued conversation with our Cuban partners on finding avenues to maximize the use of, of that as well as the receivable. Uh, we have in the past been able to utilize some of the available liquidity through Energas swaps with the MOA joint venture where uh, Energas essentially funds domestic spend. Uh, it is something that we continue to consider for capital um, and have had discussions with our Cuban partners at all levels around ex extending that type of arrangement into capital and not just operating cost. Uh, so it is a potential source. Uh, it is a matter of getting these details sorted out with our partners. Okay. And then during the expansion years, um, call it for the next couple of years, do you anticipate that there will be no dividends from MOA during that time because the cash flow will just be reinvested in the expansion? No. Um, I think... Uh, Based on prevailing commodity prices, we're, we're anticipating stronger dividends this year than we did last year, uh, despite where our capital spend is. Um, I think Yasmin might just comment on some of the um, funding options that's available that will facilitate uh, cash flows over the medium term. Thanks, Leon. Um, our MOA joint venture is, is set up to be self-funded, and it does hold sufficient cash reserves to, to fund its capital requirements. Um, you know, we mentioned the strong outlook for nickel and cobalt prices, and that will allow the joint, the, the joint venture to fund a portion of the expansion capital, and um, that's allowing us to move forward with our expansion projects uh, currently. Uh, we mentioned the, the amended and expanded credit facility. Um, that also provides an opportunity for, for, Mojo, for the MOA joint venture to, to, to finance uh, growth capex. Okay, so, the, so if you approve the project, the, the MOA JV still expects you still expect it to pay out dividends even in the, with that capex spend. Yeah, yeah, we are expecting dividends with that capex spend. Okay, and then just final question: um, the um, Leon, did I hear you say that the twenty U.S. twenty-seven million dollar cost estimate um, related to I think it was the slurry uh, budget it is not in the capex guidance for the year? That is correct, yes. So the, the 75 million Canadian um, yep. that's in there is 
is, is the sustaining capital um, and other capital spend outside of those specifically tied to the expansion plan um, that we mentioned. Okay, so that $27 million, that's expected to be invested this year? Uh, it, it's, it's expected to be invested over the course of the implementation of that slurry preparation plant, so roughly two-year time frame from sort of Q1 this year through Q1 2024. Uh, that's the sort of spread of that. We'll provide a more detailed outline of expected cash curves on that uh, with our Q1 results, but it, it, it's, it's reasonable to assume that it's uh, um, sort of an average spend over the next two years um, on that front, and, and that $27 million U.S. dollars is on a 100% basis. Okay. So, so with the Q1 results, then, we should expect sort of full project details? We are anticipating to provide much greater clarity on, on the capital details at that call. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question is from Tony Robson from Global Mining Research. Your line is open. Uh, thank you. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, I suspect you'll you'll probably say uh, wait till the end of the uh, the quarter one release, but I'll ask anyway. Um, your mid twenty four delivery date for the deep bottlenecking for Moa Bay. Um, any any risks to that and potential delays, of government permits, um, things like that outside of your control? Or conversely, given um, nickel prices obviously high, there's demand there for nickel. Um, can you beat your your uh, provisional estimate? Thank you. Sure. Uh, thank you for your question, Tony. In, in terms of the timeline for the slurry preparation plant that we've provided, uh, that timeline, I think, is, is reasonably robust um, in terms of expectation of, of where that comes into play um, and delivering the results by the middle of 24. Uh, in, in the near term, we are, are equally exposed as everybody else on, on unexpected consequences from COVID-19 on supply chains. We have a pretty good understanding of what the implications are based on the information at hand today and what's transpired to date. Uh, in terms of the balance of the expansion, we're working through the list of uh, the procurement items, um, long lead items, to ensure that we can get those uh, resolved and understood given the current landscape on supply chains uh, before we uh, fully commit to what that uh, expected outcome is, is going to be and we're getting uh, closer and closer to be able to do that. Uh, but those timelines, I think, are reasonably uh, reasonable estimates given the risk profile at present. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. And our next question is from Booker Smith from Imperial Capital. Your line is open. Hi. Thanks for taking the question. I was just wondering if you guys could comment on uh, the Bloomberg sanctions tag on both of your bonds um, and if you've made any progress on removing those two. I know in the past we've spoken about how uh, they're not exactly accurate and it can be a real conversation ender for uh, prospective investors. So I was wondering if you have any update on that. Thank you for, for your question. Uh, I, I think we've highlighted this in the past. Uh, we have essentially exhausted our efforts with Bloomberg to try and get that tag removed. Um, it's not factual, it's not accurate, um, and when we do engage with potential investors and 
with our bondholders. Uh, we do highlight that on a continuous basis, uh, but we have been unable to, to have that change and there's an unwillingness um, to take this matter further forward um, on the side of Bloomberg. What is their view exactly? Why are they pushing back so much? Uh, Booker, as you and I talked about, I mean, they have their own internal compliance-related uh, um, process and protocols, and they're following that. We've had a number of conversations with them as to why we think it's inappropriate. If you do look at the fine print, they do uh, mm -hmm. advise um, anyone looking into our bond to do make their own decisions and disclosures. And as Leon just pointed out, we do have conversations with uh, with, with bondholders to provide that context for anyone looking at that. So thanks for the question, Booker. But um, you know, at this stage, it's 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 there, and we continue on making progress w w with that uh, with that in place. Great, thank you. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you. And there are no further questions on queue. I will turn the call back over to the management for closing remarks. Thank you, operator, and thank you for everyone for dialing in today. Um, as you've heard, we're gaining momentum. The markets are looking uh, favorable for 2022 and beyond. Um, we're looking forward to sharing more details about our expansion in the upcoming quarters. And uh, thank you for your interest in Sherrod, and have a good day. And this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.